Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is Episode 3. Before we dig into today's podcast, I want to thank the many people who have given this podcast a chance. I've received a lot of great feedback, and I really appreciate your kind words. If you're willing, I'd love a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. It goes a long way toward helping others find the show. In today's episode, we're talking to Michelle Montero, a special education teacher at a school for kids with social, emotional, and other disabilities. Many of her students have ADHD. During the conversation, Michelle and I express frustration with the need for some educators to better understand the social and emotional challenges of their students. No offense is intended. I've worked with a great many teachers and administrators who deeply value social-emotional learning. And given that you're listening to this, I'm sure you do too. Today, we'll be discussing how students taking or not taking their prescribed medication affects both themselves and their classmates. The importance of letting kids earn back your opinion of them following a setback and the transformative power of Chef Boyardee and ramen. But it all starts with a story about how Michelle got bit by ADHD just before the interview started. All right, let's get rolling. I got a flat tire yesterday, completely unexpected. I live less than a mile from the tire store, so I figured on my way home, I'll call my husband and see if he's able to come pick me up. Sure, of course. He said, I'll be there in about 20 minutes. And I said, okay, do not stop anywhere else. Come right to NTB. I have time restraints. And he said, okay. I said, okay, I'll see you at NTB in about 20 minutes. That would have given me more than enough time to do what I needed to do, including a line at the tire store. So I go, I do my thing. I'm outside waiting for about five or minutes or so. I'm like, where are you? I'm in line at CVS trying to fill my prescription. I said, okay, thanks so much, but no, please just come get me. I have to be home. So he still was waiting, waiting. And the irony of the whole thing is they couldn't fill his prescription because they didn't have any at CVS. So (laughs) he made me late because he was doing something that normally I would be like, do this, do this, do this. And he couldn't even do it. And then he just has no idea time restrictions and I find that that happens often with the ADHD you think you have an hour when really you have a minute and a half and your time is not what you think it is absolutely that the phrase for that is time blindness that's the that's makes sense that's the going term in sort of the ADHD circles and the concept is exactly what you said that we just we don't understand time. People with ADHD mm-hmm. don't process time the same way that other people do. And everyone gets affected by that sometimes where you're having a lot of fun and it feels like only an hour has gone by and it turns out it's been four hours. 
Yes. Or when you're really bored and it feels like you've been sitting and doing that task for four hours and it turns out it's only been 20 minutes. Yes. So though that's definitely a major component of ADHD. And that story is really ADHD in a nutshell, right? You've got the time blindness. You've got that trying to do the right thing. And for some reason, it doesn't happen, right? Trying to fill that prescription. But in this case, it wasn't the best time to do it. And they didn't have the prescription anyway. So you kind of come up short. Yes. And you also have on your end, sort of the, you had, a, you had a hard stop. You had to come and do this podcast. And, uh, and, and you were a little late because ADHD bit you. ADHD did bite me. And <laughs> bit my husband too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at how ADHD, I guess, bites your students because you're, I mean, you're a special education teacher. I'm assuming that in, in having ADHD, you're able to understand your students a little more, uh, have a little more empathy, understand them at a different level than maybe a teacher that doesn't have ADHD. Yes. So what's that like? My students sometimes remind me that I need to keep on task and I remind them that they need to keep on task as well. So it kind of goes both ways. And I open up the year telling them, you know, people say squirrel and you look over there and say, where's the rabbit? So it's kind of like the same thing. <laughs> I tell my students, you know, we all get distracted. We need to try to deal with it. So something that has helped me and I'm trying to implement in my classroom is I put on um, soothing music or soothing scenes so that if they do get distracted, at least they're looking at something positive instead of something negative. My students also, they don't all have ADHD, but they're all social emotional disabilities. So the positive atmosphere helps them a little bit better with their ADHD. And it's obvious when they have or have not taken their medication, especially when you're used to a student, if you know how they react when they've got medication versus when they don't. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's say you have a student and, and feel free to think of one in particular, if sure. that works in this case, but I mean, change their name for confidentiality purposes and all that stuff. But let's say you have a student who consistently is, has taken their medication mm -hmm. and then one day they don't mm -hmm. because of my audience is, is parents of kids with ADHD. Okay. Can you share with us how that failure to take their medication might impact the student, how it might impact the classroom? What's the result of that? It encompasses so many of my students, I can just generalize easily without having to necessarily pinpoint one particular student. Generally speaking, the particular student who does not take their medication, who normally does, is literally bouncing from one side of the room to the next. The teacher, instructional assistants, all adults in the room are trying to rede redirect that student to pay attention, do what they're supposed to do. The student is constantly getting spoken to for doing things that he or she should not be doing when on a typical day being medicated, they would do with no problems. Just say, for example, please sit in your seat. We need to get the lesson started. So the student would, you know, maybe you'd have to say it twice and they would get in the seat. On a non-medicated day, my school, the student would lose points. So that means that they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not ready for class sometimes you realize that the student hasn't taken their meds and this is what their behavior is very later on in the day. And when you notice it, sometimes students can say, yes, I forgot to take my meds. And if the nurse is available, sometimes she's able to help out. If she doesn't have that student's medication or if they're supposed to take it in the morning, depending on what they're on, um, we may have to call home. Some parents are 
able to come in and bring medication for students, and that is phenomenal. When they're not able to bring medication in for students, it ruins the day for that student as well as the classroom and the teacher. The students lose out on their education for whatever that subject or subjects may be. And then the teacher is just like had it and they kind of like don't necessarily have the same oomph that they started off the day with. I try and be positive in the morning. Good morning. How are you? You know, whether you're necessarily really feeling that way or not. But then when a student is not behaving the way they're supposed to to help the day run smoother, that affects everybody. So it sounds like when a, when a student is having a particularly challenging day, mm-hmm. in this case, because some medication was missed. Yes. It's exhausting for you as a teacher. Yes. You're going to have to manage them differently. And, exactly. and I'd like to explore that a little bit. Um, and it also impacts the, the other students' day because they're being distracted and, and the class is being disrupted. And it also affects the kid who is engaging in that behavior. You mentioned that it ruins their day. So I'm assuming there's an, there's an emotional impact on them. Yes. Yes, definitely. So are they sort of aware of the fact that they shouldn't be doing the things they're doing, but they can't get themselves under control? Is that what's happening? Or It depends on the student. Some are okay. aware and some aren't. Some will come in in the morning and they'll say, Miss, I didn't take my meds this morning. I'll say, okay, just remind me if you go off the handle. Um, some students, they're acting up, acting up, acting up, and then I'll go over and whisper in their ears, you know, so that not the world hears asking about if they took their meds or not. And I would say a good chunk of the time they say they did not. That's when they're telling the truth. I've had students say they didn't. And then I've called home and their parents are like, nope, it's still on the counter. Or the kids will pretend to take it and then they won't really because they don't want to take it. And I don't necessarily feel like meds are appropriate for everyone, but some people really need them and definitely benefit. There's a lot of shame in, in the stories you just told hmm. where kids don't want to take their medication because they feel bad because they, why should I have to take this medicine? Why do I have to be different? There's a lot of my clients are resistant to medication because they don't want to be different. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's an outgrowth of shame. Just the shame of not being the same, the shame of not being able to, to manage the world in the way that other kids can. Right. And then there's also the shame in lying in general, really often kids lie about what they did because they're trying to protect themselves and they're Mm -hmm. trying to protect themselves from the disappointment of their parents and the disappointment in themselves and the shame that that breeds. Yes. So that's the lying about, about taking the medicine. Yeah. I I took my meds and they might know in that moment I didn't take my medication, but they don't want to admit it because they're trying to avoid the shame. Right. And ironically lying also breeds shame. So now you've got (laughs) a double shame vortex instead of just being honest and lessening both. Yes. Yes. When you've got a kid in your classroom who is not taking their meds, or maybe they're just having an off day because they're having an off day, because that certainly happens too. Medication yes. is not a magic bullet. It, it's almost a magic bullet, but it doesn't always work. Exactly. What do you do with those students when they're having the off day? How do you change the way you manage them? Or what do they force your hand into doing? When I'm able to, I try to work one-on-one with the student. That helps to focus them a little bit better. When I'm not able to work one-on-one with the student, that's when it's a little bit more difficult. And I try and give independent work or just say, you know what, 
if it helps you to put your head down, put your head down. When I can come to you, I'll come to you. Or if there's another IA available in the room, then I'll have them work with the student if they're able to work with them. An IA being an instructional assistant, someone who's in there helping you out. Exactly. Um, so I try and work one-on-one -on -one with the student. I find that whispering and talking quietly works as well. So I try to sit down next to the student at their desk or the table, chairs, wherever, and I'll talk quietly to them because I feel like that kind of helps to calm them down a little bit instead of using my normal teacher voice mm -hmm. because that sometimes isn't the best either, you know? Right. And that's something that parents could do at home too, right? They could, if they're getting some resistance from their kid, they could make it a little bit more of an intimate moment, which is what one-on-one -on -one is instead of talking in front of the whole class, it's just the two of you. Right. And exactly. they can do that with their child. They can whisper if necessary. They can modulate their tone because some of it is just when you're being the teacher, that teacher voice has a lot of authority in it. And sometimes that can be grating for a kid that's having trouble controlling themselves and make them a little more oppositional. Yes. And the same thing happens at home. Yeah, I'm sure. So when you're working with your students, what are, what are the skills that you're focusing on? I, and I, I don't necessarily mean subjects, so I'm not talking about like math and reading and social right. studies, but but the the underpinnings of those things, the sort of study skills and habits of mind that they need. So I teach math, which has a lot of time management. I oftentimes will say, okay, this is how much time we have for this. We have 20 minutes. I'll say, okay, we have 20 minutes. We need to try and get five problems done in 20 minutes. And some students will say, oh, I can do the whole paper. And it's like, well, really, if you're going to do it effectively the way that you're supposed to, you need to break it down and spend the time. So I try to teach the students, I guess the major strategy would be time management and that you can't rush through things because when you rush, you miss a lot of the important things in life, whether it's the favorite TV show or something you're reading in a book or a word problem that you're reading, it's very important to go slow, take your time. It's not always a rush. Going fast isn't always better than being slow. Like I tell the kids, I don't care how fast you work. I'd rather you work slow and take your time and get your work done well and try on it and get everything wrong instead of rush through it and get everything wrong. Because if they rush through it, then it appears that they're not trying. Whether they are or not, no one for sure knows. But when you take your time, your brain, I feel, is working more effectively. And that's mm -hmm. what helps me. Underlining important words is what we were actually going over today in class. Underline the important words. Read problems two, three, four times. Many students thought that it was so they could memorize them as well. Not quite. It's to help you understand the problem more because you might miss a word. You might say it wrong. Like, Polish or Polish. They're two different words, but they're spelled the same depending on the context. So just trying to slow things down a bit and have a little bit better time management skills is what I try to focus on a little bit. That slowing down is huge. Oh my gosh. It's so important to help kids slow down because it allows them to better judge what they're doing. Yeah. And, and, and so this, the two things that they're kind of coming up here a lot is that time management and, and how you're handling that. And also that shame stuff is still there, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of kids rush to avoid shame. Well, if I just fly right through this and I do a bad job, then it's because I rushed and everyone's going to say, oh, you rushed and that's okay. But if I take my time and I still do a bad job, it means I legitimately did a bad job. 
Right. Now I know what I need to help you with and, and teach over again. But for the kid, they're thinking, I did a bad job, even though I took my time. That means I'm bad at this. And often kids struggle with being bad at things and, and, and not doing as, as well as they would like or as well as they think everyone else wants them to do. That's something else I implement in my classroom, which you just made me think of. I um, choose random days to grade the students based on their effort. So, and I've told them this and I repeatedly explained to them as they, you know, throughout the year, I am grading you based on your class effort and your class participation. You will get a 100% if you are actively engaged in class, you're sitting up, you're doing what you're supposed to, you're answering questions, you're asking questions when appropriate to do so, you're trying your best. You'll get an easy 100. I'm like, you don't even have to get a 100 on the paper. That's insignificant at this point. Your effort is what's most important. Mm -hmm. Then they get a 75 if they need a little bit of, come on, come on, let's go, let's go. They get a 50 if their head's down because they're in the class. And then they actually do get credit if they're in school, but out of the classroom for not positive reasons, we'll say. How do you manage that when a kid comes in and is clearly not taking their medication and that's impacting their ability to perform in the classroom in terms of effort? In my school, it's a little bit different. Um, so they have a point system and they get points based on their behavior as well as their classwork. So somebody's classwork could be great, but their behavior is way down the tubes. So negative behavior could be like, bad language, swearing, talking back, just not following a school rule, asking the student to sit five times, they still don't sit. Sometimes they go into what's called a recovery and then when they're ready to come back, then that's when they're able to work. And we have different point system based on that. So even if a student has negative behavior, they can still earn all their points and even get what we call markups to kind of gain back those points. So sometimes they know that their language wasn't good, so they lost a point for that, but they worked really, really hard, so they'll get that extra point. Kids are sometimes really like, okay, this is awesome. Even though I lost that one, I still got what I should have earned for that class period. I still was able to get my six, which is good. So the point system is a little bit confusing if you're not actually there, but it works. The kids understand it. They have explained it to me when I didn't understand it. <laughs> and it works out very well. It works for the students with ADHD as well as the students who don't have that for diagnosis because they all know what they're accountable for. And you can remind, it, remind the students with the rules that are posted in the classroom. In addition to teaching math, are you also teaching study skills or executive functioning skills? No, it's, it's indirectly like... I know that you need to have a good night's sleep in order to function well in the day. So part of their homework was to go to bed early. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but if they're not aware of the time that they're going to bed or staying in bed playing video games, then they come to school and they fall asleep. In times like that, students will also receive markdowns because they're not ready for class. Right. And that's, that's self-care and self-care is really important. That that's a great homework assignment. As far as I'm concerned, the kids were like, is this for real? I said, yes, continue to make good choices. 
be a good person and go to bed early. And they kind of laughed. I'm like, I can give you paper, pencil if you want, but <laughs> I thought this would be more beneficial to you right now. I said, don't worry, later on in the year, we'll get some more traditional homework. But for right now, this is what I want you to concentrate on. Right. And they're like, well, what if I go to bed at midnight? I said, if you go to bed at midnight, as long as it's earlier than you did the night before, that's a start. Keep bringing it back a little earlier and a little earlier. So <laughs> we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, that's great though. That that self-care is so important to help kids be successful, particularly right now where it's the beginning of the school year because mm -hmm. um, we're talking in September. So school has just started and you're establishing sort of self-care habits, right? Go to bed on time or at least go to bed earlier than you did yesterday. Yes. And in order to have that benefit them in the classroom because a well-rested kid is going to have more executive functioning skills to bring to bear. They're going to have more focus. They're going to have more energy. They're less likely to put their head down on the desk and check out. That's a really solid strategy. Thank you. Yeah. Now, do you also, are you breaking homework down and projects down into smaller chunks for them? Usually when I do give traditional homework, I'll only give like three or four problems because of their ability level and their cognitive level. Mm -hmm. So I don't usually give extensive homework. And if I did give a project at home to do at home, I would never receive anything back. So generally speaking, I don't give that type of stuff for homework. I found that with the population of students I work with, it's an automatic zero if you do stuff like that. So okay. I try to not so much. Every student in the school has social emotional diagnosis and many of them have other as well. Okay. So the ADHD with, we'll say depression, they don't necessarily work well together for a traditional school setting. So that's why they come to my school so that okay. we can kind of work with them. So, And the focus is social emotional stuff. That's more so our focus than, okay. I mean, obviously academics as well, that goes without saying, but if the student's not in a good spot socially and emotionally, they're not going to, they're not going right. to try and work well with uh, anything. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's everybody, right? If yeah, you're not doing right. okay with your social stuff and your emotional self, you're not going to get the work done that you need to get done. You just aren't. And learning how to manage those skills and just manage those emotions is really important. It's something that comes up for, with ADHD all the time. ADHD is comorbid with anxiety, with depression, with oppositional defiance. Those things go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that there are schools like the one that you work in that exist in the world. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's the public, and you've worked in the public school just like I have. Yes. So many public school teachers don't get that. This kid isn't going to learn anyway. I understand that you want him in your classroom, but he needs to be at guidance or he might need to be home. Yes. Chilling out and having a day. A mental health day. <laughs> and in the more severe cases, they might need to be in a different school that's more able to, to address their needs. I love it. It's great. What makes you love it? The students can behave the way that they need to behave, and they're able to still get an appropriate education at their ability level without the typical pressures from a typical school, a typical public school, say. We have a lot of the same requirements, but because we are different, some of our requirements are different than a typical public school. Easy example, if a student has their head on the desk and an administrator walks in the room, that administrator knows that it's not our fault that the student has their head on the desk. Whereas 
in a typical public school, the administrator may walk in the class and pull you out and say, why does Joe Schmo have their head on the desk? They should be paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're right. They should be. But right now they're not able to because maybe there was a death in the family. They didn't take their medication. They woke up on the wrong side of the bed. They're hungry. Any number of reasons. But the administration in my experience from typical public schools, they don't really understand the disabilities of the kids. They sometimes may say that they do, but in reality, when it comes down to it, if they did, they wouldn't ask why you let Joe Schmo keep their head down on the desk. I was actually talking with a friend of mine yesterday, specifically about heads on desks, Yeah, because their kid's teacher has a rule, and this kid's in elementary school, mm-hmm. that you can't put your head down on your desk. And like middle elementary school, not even fifth grade, like less than that. Like third, fourth, second Yeah, grade. yeah. And so the rule in the classroom is you can't put your head on your desk. And I was floored by that because you're taking away an excellent source of information by getting rid of that. Mm -hmm. Because there's reasons kids put their heads down on the desk and sometimes they're totally valid. Sometimes the head is down on the desk because the kid is really upset and needs to cry. Right. And you don't get to find out about that because they're going to squash that down or you're forcing this kid to sit, sit there and cry with everyone able to see them, which is also not okay. Mm-hmm. Or you're causing them to have to leave the classroom and they might go wandering. They might not go to the bathroom. They might wander off to find somewhere even more secluded if they're going to be crying. Right. Or the kid just might be frustrated or they might be tired. And if you take away the opportunity to put their heads down on their desk, you can't get that information. Right. There's, there's lots of kids who can hide their frustration if they're not allowed to put their head on their desk and they're, you're not going to see it. But if they can put their head on their desk, they're going to do that. And now you can wonder right. and say, hey, Tammy, what's going on? What, mm-hmm. How come your head's down? What, what's happening? And you get that moment to connect to them and help them feel safer in the classroom. And also to get a little more information, get a little more insight, because you might find out something that no one else knows. And, and it's information that needs to be had. Yes. So um, it's, it's frustrating to me when you're not that head on the desk stuff that it gets vilified so much when it's, there's so much in there if you just ask about it. So sorry, I didn't mean no. to go off on a, on a rant, but that no, was... I Hey, ADHD, we're good. That's what we're <laughs> talking about here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrel, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's also something that's been stuck in my head since yesterday because I was just yeah. like, what are you doing? Well, if a student falls asleep, then I have a different conversation with them versus if their head's on the desk and they're still answering questions. The conversation would go a little bit differently in the two situations. But like you had said, it's still a way to get information that you may not get otherwise and right. you know, find them the help that they need if that's necessary. And sometimes it's, that's a better way for them to focus. Mm-hmm. Right? Those kids exist. Kids that can put their head down on the desk and listen to everything that's being said. And for some reason, that's better for them that day. Yes. I wouldn't want a kid to have their head on their desk for my entire class every single day. That seems excessive. But if every now and then that's what you need to do to stay tuned in, then that's what you need to do. Yep. Do you find that working with kids who have ADHD, who have social emotional challenges, do you find that it's uh, wearing on you? Is it emotionally challenging? Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's not the staff in the building makes a big difference. Everyone is in the same boat. It's Mm -hmm. again, not like a typical school. 
where you may be the only one or one of three people teaching this sort of population. Everyone in the school is going through the same thing, just with a different group of students. So the support group makes a big difference as far as all students are involved. And some days, yes, are draining. And that's when I might have two glasses of wine instead of one. But I love the students because I feel our classes are smaller for the most part than a typical school. We have a maximum of, I think it's 10 students per classroom currently. I mean, that can always change, but currently our, our maximum classroom is 10 students and some may or may not be in school all the time. So sometimes you could have as few as two or three students in a classroom or you could have the full class. But because of the class size, you really get the opportunity to get to know the students a little bit better than you would in a typical high school. And you get to be able to know a little bit about their family background and why they may or may not be in that setting or that situation, what their home life is, home life is like, whether they even have a home life. A lot of the students are in programs or in foster care, which yes, that is certainly draining and your heart just goes out for these kids. So we try and provide, I know I do as well as, you know, the other people I work with, we all try to provide incentives that we learn the students like. The school lunches, I have to say, are not my favorite and a lot of the students don't like them either. If a student has had a really good day and they earn it, I have Chef Boyardee, which is not my favorite <laughs> thing, but the kids really enjoy it. And if I can spend a dollar and they're happy, by all means, it gives them the incentive to continue to do well and ramen noodles are like gold as well so if you can get a student to earn that they're getting a lunch that they like so you're filling their belly which will help them process any medications that they may or may not be taking better it's helping them to focus because they're not like oh my stomach's making noises and they're getting something that they would rather eat instead of the school lunch my follow-up question to that and you addressed some of it already was when you're having a day that's exhausting, when the, it's just been a really hard one. Mm -hmm. I was wondering about self-care, right? What do, you, what do you do for yourself to help you recharge, to help you bounce back from that draining day? And some of the things you've already mentioned that you focus on relationships yep. with your colleagues and understanding because they're all in the same boat mm -hmm. and, and also just your relationships with your students and, and sort of giving them a little a little something extra here and there, either because they're having a hard day and you can tell, so you're giving them a little extra compassion with some, some ramen noodles or some yeah. Chef Boyardee, or because they've had an exceptionally good day and things are going really well and you want to also encourage that and reward that. I do, I do have little incentives also for the end of class if students have done really well, even if they did receive a markdown, but they brought it up and they did all the other activities that I asked them, they can earn candy. My homeroom okay. student, I know that it's not ideal, but it's a huge, huge, huge motivator. You know, not all students prefer it. And those who don't, there are other, there are other motivators too, but high school, that's something that they tend to prefer. So I do do that a lot. And I give it at the end of the day for all of my students who have received perfect days. So that means zero markdowns. And today, one of my students who has had not received it since the beginning of the school year, which is, you know, today was day seven, received a piece of candy today. So I was really, really happy for him. So that was good. That's great. Yeah. 
So what are some other things that you, you do to help take care of yourself? I work out. Awesome. I, I do Zumba, yoga, Pio. What else? I don't know. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. I can't remember what they're called. I just look at the sheet. I sign up for whatever's available. For whatever classes are at the For gym. whatever class I feel like it. Yeah. It's great, actually. I have a glass of wine here and there. I sit on the couch. I watch TV. Sometimes I try to follow my own advice and go to bed early or on the weekend sleep late or a little bit of both. Spend time with family and friends. Just kind of try to be like a normal person. I'm a little bit goofy in the class too to kind of have the students pay attention. I cannot sing and cannot dance well, but I do sing and dance in class regularly so that my <laughs> students will pay attention. And if they're asking me to stop, that's a good sign. If they're not saying, oh, you're awful, can you, you know, stop, then I'm worried because that means that they're not looking at me making a fool of myself. So that I do that for myself because it kind of lets me let off some steam without them knowing that's what I'm doing. That makes sense. Yeah. And and that that's really useful too, right? To be able to to just blow off some steam and, and yeah. be a little weird just because it's going to bug them and you're not really doing anything mean. You're just kind of pestering them a little bit, yep. but it lets you feel a little more oddly connected to the kid and also like you've got some breathing room. Yes. I also... I know this is a podcast, so people aren't going to be able to see. I colored my hair last year. I was donating it. So I chopped it off. And then with what was left, I decided I would do a peekaboo hair color style. So I came back from April vacation and a couple of the kids who I have good relationship with, Miss, what did you do to your hair? It's, it's blue. Why did you do that? Are you crazy? I said, well, I teach here, don't I? And then you just got that kind of like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Kind of look. But then they laughed and like, yeah, you got a good point there. <laughs> they still ask me about it every once in a while, I'm trying to let it grow out now. But it was a, a temporary permanent or permanent temporary, however you want to look at it. But it definitely gets them paying attention. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> anything else you'd like to add or anything that we didn't get to that you think would be valuable for our listeners to hear? When you see a diagnosis on an IEP, that's not specific, that makes it harder for their teachers to work with them and give them the support and all the help that they need. So if we have a better, that's our job. It's like you go to your doctor, you tell your doctor everything that's wrong with you so that they can help you better. If we don't know what's going on with your child, then we can't help them effectively either. You wouldn't go to a heart surgeon for a problem with your foot. If we know better, then we can help them better. Clear communication with the school is, is huge to get yep, that help. exactly. To let you do your job, really. Thank you very much. It's been great. No problem. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.